So welcome to the podcast, Adventure Inward. This is a podcast for deep thinking and feeling and philosophical tomfoolery. So I think we'll start with an introduction of you and your name, how long you've been in a van, and just freebase what you like about nomadic lifestyle. Okay, so my name is Nate Peppel. I've been in a van for a year and two or three months now, so over a year. I'm from South Dakota originally, and I think there wasn't a lot of nature in South Dakota and the east side that I was on, and I got like super into rock climbing and outdoor stuff before I took off, and yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of driven to be out in it more. Plus, I also wanted to be in a van for a long time before then. Why? What? How did you stumble across van living? Because two years ago when you kind of started or probably started getting the idea, there wasn't, it wasn't as fanciful as it is now. Well, I actually built out my first van in 2015. Okay. So it's been a while. And back then it wasn't like, as far as I knew, there were only a few Instagram accounts. It wasn't like a documented no cool thing. No one cared. Yeah. I really got the idea to do it. I think the last semester of college when I was 20 one or 22 or whatever you are then that's young yeah so i had a i had a honda ridgeline pickup in college and i was just really inspired to do this um my dad had just died uh earlier that year and i don't know i convinced my mom to like help me trade my my, uh, honda pickup in and get a sprinter wow how did you convince her to do that what was her perspective and state of mind as you're like Yeah, an empty cargo van is the way to go. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't the right time because I was just getting into doing work things. I was tour managing a band. So I was kind of like going into, uh, I knew I was going to be full-time on the road with them. So I knew the van life wasn't going to be like, I'm all in, I'm out in the open. I wanted to have it. I wanted to have the option. I wanted to like try to build my life that way to make it work that way. But then I just kind of fell into living in South Dakota, doing audio work. I was freelancing it, but I just wasn't making like a lot of money at the time. And I was also going through stuff, you know? It was like a challenging time in life. I don't know, it was just challenging. Like ways of life, relationship stuff with friends. Uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. Probably dealing with some of my dad's stuff and lost from that and not realizing it. And yeah, I had the van for a few years and then I ended up selling it. It wasn't practical for my life. It just kind of became a daily driver. Did you have a home while you lived in the van too, like part-time? Um, I wasn't living in the van. Okay. I just had it. I had, um, uh, yeah, I was renting a house for a while, and then I was with a girlfriend for a while, and then I was renting an apartment. And then at that time, I found someone who was my friend, Bree, and um, she couldn't pay for the van outright. So I was like, well, I trust you. Let's just do like a contract, and you can make payments on it. Yeah, so that's how I got rid of the van. Where is Brie now in your first 2015 van? Uh, She sold it, actually. She used it for a while, way more than I did. Um, I think she really liked it. And then she decided that she wanted to kind of settle down, um, have a partner. Yeah. And she (laughs) sold it to someone in Chicago or something like that. Interesting. I just like wonder what the life of that van became. Yeah, it'd be wild to see it someday. Yeah. Like it gets built out or it turns into scraps, like the two extremes. Yeah, Yeah, she ended up painting it like desert tan, which I think is so sick. Because it had a few spots of like rust on it, Yeah, like some vans do. And um, 
Yeah, I actually really like what she did with it. I wish I would have taken it to that point, but I'm glad I'm in a different band now. Yeah. So tell me about how the last year and a half-ish has been in this van. Like, how did you revisit the van nomad thing? Like, it was always baked in there, but yeah, it's a big decision to make incremental decisions to that big move. It's never an overnight thing. I don't know any van lifer who's like, oh, yeah, I want to live in a van rolled over onto the floor of their home and was like, I hate this. I'm going to move into a van. Like, Yeah, I think it was a long time of not really liking being in a home. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was a time period where I was like, okay, I had a house. I had like a three-bedroom house to myself, which was a lot. Whoa. But I also had um, like the lower level I converted to be like recording studio and office space. So it didn't feel like I was wasting the room so much. It was actually really nice what I was doing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while there, it was I was kind of like digging what I was doing with life because business was picking up. I think part of that is like I have more expenses. Therefore, I'm going to like figure out how to make my business work more. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it, what, what I was doing there. Um, but yeah, I think I always wanted to do van life. I didn't know where it was going to be placed. I wasn't like certain on it at that point where I was kind of like, building the business more and just like maintaining what I was in. Mm. But yeah, I think I got into backpacking more. Um, well, first off, I got more into like cycling. And then I was like, well, cycling on a, like a Zwift setup or like training or whatever, it was like fun, but it wasn't like what I wanted to do. I didn't like feeling like a machine. I wanted to like go out and do adventures. So I started doing um, like bike packing stuff where you basically carry camping gear on a bicycle and cool. you go out and you just like stay. Um, <laughs> you live there. like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't like big long trips or anything like that. I was just kind of like getting into it mm-hmm. um, because I, I recognized that like that was the kind of adventure I wanted to do. Ultimately, like that's kind of what I'm doing now. But anyway, I was um, I was doing like little trips like that and I ended up getting injured on the bike. I had like a, a knee injury. Um, just probably from like pushing too much power and uh kind of got disheartened by the whole deal and i had a a trip planned actually out here in arizona pretty much exactly where we're at in this mountain range and um i was going to come out here i was going to ride my bike there's like a, a lake called roosevelt lake here um just like north of gold canyon and uh i had the bike injury so i was like well i'm not going to bring the bike i'm I think I feel good enough to hike. So I'm going to just like bring backpacking gear instead. Cause really it's kind of like backpacking gear minus the bag. So I ended up hiking out here, um, to the Weaver's Needle hike and Weaver's Needle is like a really special thing for me because since then I've like free soloed it. I've hiked it a few times. Really? Yeah. But when I first came, I had no climbing experience. I had nothing like that. Um, I just came out. I had never done like backpacking stuff before. And I, uh, I just did it. I just went alone. And apparently it's like a super kind of spooky, haunted mountain range. Most people don't like staying in it, mm-hmm. but I thought it was fun. Um, and then from that point on, I just really fell in love with, like, I want to do things that are more outdoors. I like this environment. It's fun. Um, I fell in love with Arizona too. I just, yeah. I think the landscape's so, so unique compared to like South Dakota. One, because South Dakota doesn't have a lot of nature, but it's also... You know, the desert's just different if you haven't spent time in it. It's just very different terrain, different soil. I, I love the colors. I love like the the green and, and the kind of like um, 
orangey soils, like the clay that comes out. I think it's yeah. pretty. Yeah. There's something, the thing that's special to me about the desert is that anything that's here is like, is supposed to be here. Yeah. Nothing that can't hack it in the, in this terrain doesn't stay. And I, I kind of feel like the grittiness of this environment makes me feel that way internally too. Like, yeah, anything yeah. that, that can't stay needs to go. Anything that can't live here and thrive needs to go. And then I kind of like absorb that energy and, and take it on. That That's cool. Yeah. yeah. But different environments, all different environments, especially living nomadically, I'll go to the ocean and be like, oh, ebb and flow, currents, like, okay, now that's the attitude that I approach, appropriate yeah. on my life. And But I do come back to the desert with that like revived, no, there is stuff that needs to go. Yeah. And every day, everything that's supposed to be here is here. And it makes me feel very honest and raw about my life because I feel like the desert is honest and raw about it. It's like, I'm fucking prickly and dry. It, it, yeah, it's just open space. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So I, anyway, I was getting into outdoor stuff and then I got like deeply into climbing. And then I just kind of got to a point where like, uh, I knew I wanted to make a change. I knew I wanted to do something different. Did something spark that? Or again, it was super incremental um, was there a one yeah, day or moment yeah for sure um so one it was kind of like the buildup of enjoying outdoors and really like putting myself in situations that um got me out there but also i was going through a lot of like spiritual awakening type growth um i mean it's been happening a lot over the past probably four years but yeah i kind of had this moment where um I watched this documentary. It was a Ram Dass documentary. And was it the Becoming No One? Yeah, Becoming it's Nobody. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I loved it. It was, uh, it was like just like what I needed at that time. And um, I, really, I really took it in. And what was cool about it was there was a lot of stuff that like was growing within me that I didn't have a lot of traction on. Like it really made sense when I heard him speak. Uh, it made perfect sense to me. It was sometimes even a little bit of a stretch too, right? Like I loved that about it is that it was at this point now I've listened to so much of it that I really have internalized and have understood like what he's saying and like how it relates to what I'm experiencing, mm -hmm. you know, minus a few things because he's definitely gone um, deeper than I have in it just from the time and the work and the experiences. But there were so many things that like really, really added up to that. And uh, I watched this documentary like twice this one day and I don't know. It just kind of made me realize like, this is exactly what I want to do. Like I'm done doing this house thing. Um, I think for a long time I was just sitting in the, the idea of like, I need to have this income. Um, because a lot of my income was coming from like video shoot stuff and some, I had some income from coming from like remote work, but it wasn't like, um, the bulk of it. Mm -hmm. But then I realized like, well, if I were, were to sell my house and if I were to sell my car, and I would like convert clients over and understand that like it will take a little time to build it up a little bit more, but it's going to happen. Uh, I just kind of had this point where it's like, wow, I could like do this, buy a van, cash, and not have any like fears of this. Like financially, I wasn't in a spot of fear anymore. anymore. And I don't think I realized that for a long time. So yeah, when I started having this like spiritual awakening moment watching this, uh, nothing else made sense in my life other than to do that. And then I, um, 
And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. Like I decided on it right there. I'm going to do it. And I thought at the time, like, okay, there's no, there's no van that's going to be ready this second for me that I'm going to like. I wanted to do it right. Like van one was good, but it was like a $25,000 project kind of thing. Yeah. And it was a good van. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people out here who are doing it full time in vans that are much less expensive than that. But I like things that are high quality, no fear or little fear of things breaking down, like warranties, like to, to make life consistent. Because that's how my home was. That's how my business ran. Like there wasn't, um, there weren't things that were going to fall apart on me within those things. Mm, I wanted those to be stable. So therefore I was like, okay, well, I want a van that's like super solid, whatever it takes. I don't care. Like if I have to spend 75 to a hundred thousand dollars, I'll do it for that. Um, and I was able to, because I had like house money, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, so I thought I was going to have to buy a van that was gutted. I was going to have to hire someone to build it. And it was going to take six months or whatever it was going to take, maybe even longer. I didn't love that idea. But it was like, maybe that's just the reality because I didn't know any pre-built vans were cool or like worked or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Then I went into this RV place called Pleasureland, <laughs> which is super funny. And I saw this van out front. It was a, it was like a, um, a larger version of what I have, mm-hmm. but it was made by Winnebago. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I'll check it out. I looked in and I was like, eh, not super into it. It's cool. Like it just costs more than I wanted to spend. It's bigger than what I want it to be. And the guy said, well, we have this other model. It's brand new. It's called the Solus Pocket, and it's built on the chassis that you want. And it's this price. I'm like, whoa, it's what price? I was looking at the photos. I was like, that's super sick. It's like a perfect size. It's open. It feels like a, a homey space. It felt like the kind of ban- uh, the kind of vans that people build out, but it was already um, pre-built. And so you know how it goes. Like if something is for sale, it's like, well, do you want it or not? So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to put down a deposit on it. So it took this thing that I thought was going to be like six months long. And then within one month, I decided on the van, bought a van, sold my house, sold my car, sold a ton of gear. Like I sold a lot of audio equipment because I had a full recording studio. I had like acoustic panels. I had a bunch of stuff. I saved a few things. Like I saved kind of my core things like my speakers and um, my screen and stuff like that. But a lot happened in one month. And that whole time I was working too. And I was working probably extra because a lot of people are like, well, you're doing what? We need you to like do this project before you leave. And I was taking it because I was like, okay, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it was crazy. It was like the, the craziest month of my life. There were, um, do you know what goos are? Like for running or cycling, they're like these little gels that you can, uh, you can eat while you're going. <laughs> they're just like quick glycogen hits basically. Mm-hmm. I had like a box of those in my cabinet and I got to the point where I wasn't buying groceries and I was like, I was like losing weight based on like how stressed and like not eating enough in this time period. I remember I was like eating goose. <laughs> like if I were, yeah, I, it's not like I had many, but I had enough where I was like, uh, like I, I ate goose because this will I, sustain me. Yeah, because wow. I was like, I'm in go mode right now. And like, yeah, I could run to the store and I probably should have taken care of myself more. And I mean, that's been a big thing about van life too, is taking care of myself more. But I want to, I do want to touch on that and taking care of yourself in the van. Yeah. But what in maybe a word or a couple words would you describe that month of those things happening? Like the wave had taken you. What was that experience like? 
uh, it was like exhilarating, but exhausting at the same time. Yeah. Like I was super, super excited for what was going to happen for sure. Um, it was also, uh, it was also like a little challenging. So, um, there was someone who I was, uh, talking to on like a hopeful for a relationship kind of level. Um, and I really, really liked her and it was really difficult because like she was from Arizona and I was like, okay, well, that's where I'm coming first. Cause one, I had a video shoot lined up here, but also I just wanted to come here first. Cause I knew this is going to be warm. It's the place that I wanted to be back in. Um, so I was dealing with stuff with that too, like the ups and downs of that. And it didn't end up working out the way I wanted it to. Mm. And at that time, you know, over a year ago, I was really like, um, hard on myself when my expectations weren't met, like what I hoped for didn't happen. Uh, and we could talk about more of that, like how I've let go of a lot of that stuff. But back then it was pretty hard. So I was dealing with a lot of loss in life, um, but I was really excited, I guess. Yeah, just the exhilarating and overwhelming and exhausting experience of change. Like, yeah. especially like I said, when you're taken by these things, like you're, you made all those decisions incrementally and then there was momentum and then there's nothing you can do but kind of surrender to the momentum. Yeah. But it is still, you're still participating in it. Like you still have to get up and work and for feed, sure. feed yourself. And and I had not, a timeline, <laughs> right? Like I, I knew I have this shoot at the end of November or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I have to leave at this time. Like I have to be out of my house at this time. I have to do a lot of things at this time. And it was kind of, it was kind of um, helpful though. It was almost like, you've procrastinated for a test or something like that. It's like, oh shit, now I have to like actually get ready. Yeah. There's like no time to waste. Um, But there were times where I was just like sitting around all the things I had to do in my house. I would have like piles of things, like where is this going to go? Um, And I just had to breathe and know that, okay, like, yeah, I'm facing a lot of resistance in doing things right now, but I have to do it. Like yeah. it's right in front of me. And um, I didn't feel bad about uh, how I went about um, getting rid of things either. I felt like I gave a lot to people. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I gave the guy who bought my house. I, I could have asked for money on it, but I, I gave him over a thousand some dollars worth of things. Just gave it to him. Like I gave him a TV. I gave him a couch. I gave him a lawnmower. I gave him like Gave him as in you just left the things that were I literally, in there. You I literally wrote them an email. I was like, would the new owner like this stuff? Because I have no need for it anymore. Yeah. And my real estate agent was like, are you sure? Like <laughs> you could ask for money. I was like, no, it's yeah. cool. Like I think uh, it served me enough. Like I've been given a lot of things in life and this guy's new to owning a home and I'd like to give him things too. Oh. But also, like, I didn't need them, and I didn't have time to sell them. Yeah. like <laughs> There's, like, practical, like, it wasn't totally altruistic of me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely yeah. I definitely felt good about doing it. I didn't regret it. Sure. There wasn't a pain of, like, oh, yeah, maybe I should have, like, asked for more money. Or gotten. Do you have a storage unit? Uh, no. I have um, a mom and a brother. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have many of my things, though. My mom acquired uh, my kayak, which kind of works for her. She lives on a lake. She has my road bike too. I only have one bicycle now. I used to have like five bikes. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just left one bike with her because I was like, I'm not sure if I want to have this. At first, I actually had a, a mountain bike in the van. Mm-hmm. Now I have a motorcycle. So it's kind of like took up more space. Um, and then at my brother's, I have a few totes. That's it. And then 
then yes, yeah, some studio equipment at my mom's too. That just does not work with my life now. Specifically totes, like not duffel bags. Not two, yeah, two <laughs> not plastic totes. Bugs. I think that's all I have at my brother's. Uh, okay. Cool. And it's stuff that I could probably look at and go, oh, that's cool that I kept that. But there's probably also a lot of stuff that's like, I haven't thought about this in over a year. So I don't know if I even need it. That's the funny thing about like, I still have things, places, yeah. but they are like, if I looked at them, I'd be like, oh, hello thing that I have. Yeah. But I can't, I couldn't name those off if I was paid money right now <laughs> to name them off. I don't have no I idea what they are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can remember a lot of my things either. I know like I have a, my college diploma is in one of those totes or something, right? Sure. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not hanging out on my wall. <laughs> And it's kind of funny how different things replace that space in your mind, like parking spaces that you really like or coffee shops that the vibe was right and you want to return to. That room in my mind or in my heart, like is, there's just as much open space in me as there seems to be in the environments that I find myself in. And so then I, it's not, it's, it feels impossible for it to be things that occupy that space. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, outside of like my immediate surroundings, yeah. I don't think about anything except for my my environment, nature. Oh, there's a hawk floating over there. Like, look at these cactuses. Hello, friend. Recording a podcast like with me. Look at these chemtrails that are like a perfect X in front yeah. of us. Too. <laughs> yeah, there were some. Or I woke up. I woke up randomly at seven nineteen this morning, and I looked out my window, and it was like this bright orange sunrise and I'm like I gotta get up and I never get up that early so I was just like got up did you walk out for it yeah I recorded it Uh, I did a time lapse behind your van and got the their chemtrails on the other side and they were everything was moving but I couldn't see that they were it was moving yeah it was just going really slowly in real life but in the in the time lapse it was going really it was moving yeah, like yeah. there was a breeze and so those are the things that i'm like giddy about or noticing that have occupied the time and space that i would be otherwise thinking about things yeah. acquiring things or the things that i have were you pretty minimalistic before you did van life yes I learned to be minimalistic. I always say that because I was not. I was a pretty, I mean, I hoard my journals and crafts. (laughs) Yeah, you have like little things around here. I have lots of little things. But I I was pretty, considering I was pretty minimalistic. And then I moved out of my ex's house that we had together and kind of just let her have everything. And I only took a few boxes of stuff that I had because... Yeah, for other reasons. And I moved into a one-bedroom apartment by myself, and I just had a couch and that tiny little blue painting. And people were always like, you need bigger art. You need a bigger—you need to fill the space. But I only had, like, plants and that painting and a a small TV and a coffee table and my couch. And, like, that was kind of it. Just after that relationship? Yeah. Yeah. So I moved into that house with very minimal things, and I I found myself— keeping it that way and so then when I my apartment literally people who knew me before and had an apartment when I had an apartment and they come into my van they're like this looks exactly like you your apartment like the same colors the same energy the same like plants and creams and tans and teals and whites and oranges and blues like that was it very natural I was always attracted to the natural tones anyways and I never realized that that's what I was doing 
so then when, yeah, when it came to move into the van, I just, um, I would sit on my couch. I tell everybody this. I took my sweet time with it, but I would sit on my couch and I would look, I would just spend time looking around my environment like, okay, if this was all that I had, what would I want to fill this space with? Pretty much how I'm sitting right here and can see everything. I'm like, what do I want to see when I look at my space? And so then it became psychologically really easy to, I would put little stick-it notes, um, like pink and green and blue. I'd color coordinate, like one was donate, one was keep, and one was throw away. Mm -hmm. And I just went through for months, times, things around my van. I was like, okay, that mug, I don't really like that. I don't really connect with that mug. And it, you could say that it was a Mari type of yeah. perspective, but I was... Even though I lived by myself in an apartment, I still acquired a lot of things. Easy too. And I knew that that was one of the things that would get in my way when it came time to move out because I'm one of those people that's not going to touch something for six months. But then as soon as I see it, I'm like, okay, I'll wear it tomorrow. And then like another six months goes by. <laughs> Yeah. So I knew I had to get in front of that. And that's like basically neurohacking. Like, oh, I know this is a thing I'm going to do. I'm going to get I'm going to get it right now. That way I am prepared for the moment that my brain tells me that I'm going to use this. I already know what to do. Yeah. And so it was I had four I've gotten rid of like 50% of what I had when I moved in the van. I had no storage, nothing. I gave a lot of stuff away to my friend too. He had just moved into a house and for $600, I gave him a TV, coffee tables, lamps, chairs, my couch, everything. It was such a great, it was just such a very kismet thing. And I, I think that anyone who is in this lifestyle might attribute a little bit of serendipity and uh, synchronicity to the tr any of the transitions, really, but the main big one of house lifestyle swap from one thing to another in a dramatic way yeah. to, wow, that just happened to work out so perfectly. There's no other explanation. So that happened a lot while I was moving into the van. Um, but to answer your question originally, like, Yes, the minimalism for sure is a mindset because I have a hoarding tendency. So I had to be intentional about being minimalistic. Um, it was not easy at first, but then it became very easy to see like, oh, I don't have the space for that. Not just I don't have the space for that or money for that or whatever, but I don't want this to take up the space that I have. Yeah, it just takes up space in your head at the end of the day. It takes space in my head, like— Having my counter very clear, like maybe this is very cluttered, but having my counter clear. So I only have one candle on my counter that stays there. Yeah. And that's it. But I could have like a whole bunch of things on here. Yeah, that, but then that, you'd lose the function. And, and then I would lose the function. I would lose the clean, the, the tidiness um, that I am very attracted to, but also it makes me feel good that there's nothing on my counter. Are you like this with clothing too? Yes. Me too. Yes, very much so. Yeah, like I feel like I just wear athleisure kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. because I can wear it for work. I can wear it on adventures. I could wear it when I'm just kicking it. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Yeah, it's. I have a lots of... Um, Lots of the same colors. I worked, again, these are things that I worked on years before, though. When I moved into the apartment by myself, I have, like, this tank top in white, and those are my only—I might get variations of things, but I'll—if I find a style and a color that I like, I get, like, two more colors, and that's what I'll wear for years, really. Yeah. 
And so I've had this cardigan for maybe like four years. You just get good things. and get Yeah, get good things. Get them once. Um, and I would say, again, that started before I lived in the van. But in the van, it it's, um, I forgot what I was going to say, but it's, it's, oh, this is where you had mentioned taking care of yourself and the ways that that's changed. And I think, and I want to know what you think about this, but like having a clean space, you're very tidy too. So having a clean space and having a minimalist style and athleisure and like kind of allotting, I don't ever have a lot of dishes and I don't ever have a lot of clothes piled up and laundry day is also the day that I fold everything and put it away and I make my bed every day. Like there are things that are functional self-care that we think of as like chores, but I don't think of them as chores. I think them as like imperative for my mental health. What do you think about that or where does that fall into place in the van? I agree. I had a day, um, I think last week, I can't remember, but uh, it was kind of like a big, I call it errands or resources day or whatever. No, I like that. Yeah, it was a day where I dumped the gray water in the van. I filled the fresh water. I got propane. I got groceries. I did laundry. I cleaned the van. And after that, it's like, yeah, those are chores or whatever. But I literally just took care of every necessity in my life, in my home, in like a handful of hours. Yeah, and it feels less. Yeah, and it feels so good to do that. Um, I walk away from those days and it's like, wow, I feel really good. Like I feel really good about my space. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just kind of an act of self-love, really. I mean, it's taking care of your environment. Truly. And yeah, because uh, yeah. my space is, yeah, it is always really tidy. But those days when I really top things off and I know like, it's like security almost. Yeah. It's just knowing that uh, I'm good for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that I, there's a lot of van life day, chore day things. And it's, I think that, I I think chores are self-love in a yeah. in a way. And I think I realized that a long time ago. Um my ex, <laughs> she was very neurotic about vacuuming, like vacuum lines. And when I moved out of that house, I took that with me. And while I don't have a carpet, I do the satisfaction of a of a wiped sink. Mm-hmm. Like that's loving myself. Loving my space, Clean loving your dirty sink. Out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. yeah. Cleaning out the drain, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. just the, and more so, it's it kind of falls into that trope of the how I do one thing is how I do everything, and I I notice those things even for the not so great things. Like my front seat is a little messy because it's where all like my sweaters live right now, and I never know what I'm gonna want to wear. So I let it. I intentionally let it be met. Like I know that that spot is where there's a little bit of discourse. And that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. And then everywhere else, like my sink is, and so it falls back into that. Like I, it, it's in place. Like you know that that is in its place exactly. for right now. Yeah, yeah it's not. It's, it's not out of order. It's just exactly. It's not out of order. It's intentionally. It's intention. Just pure intention. And yeah. I'm not. And I that translates into how I think, how I have people in my life, how I participate in change how I make decisions. It's even if it's not super comfortable, I try to just like, okay, I know where I am. I Even if I'm confused, I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. Even if I don't know what I'm, I, even if I don't know what actions to take, I know what I'm doing because I choose to. And that translates into 
like I said, how I do one thing is how I do everything. So how I keep a separate part of my van kind of in chaos, it's like I'm very aware that it's chaos and it's okay with me. And so maybe there's a part of my mind that my that gets a little chaotic and I'm like, okay, I'm very aware of that particular part of my mind. I understand when it gets triggered and the chaos gets unleashed and I know what to do about it. Even if it's like I could easily clean that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be a big thing. Get up a place for it to go though. Yeah. And and everything there has a home that's in the van um, as it is. There are also different like spaces within van life. There's like, I'm traveling. There are actually a lot of different kind of environments, right? It's like you're traveling. Mental environments. Yeah, yeah, you're traveling, yeah. but you're like staying and it's kind of just overnight, but you're you're really just in and out. But also like right now, we are pretty well settled in. Yeah. We're hanging out here for a few days. I got my motorcycle back yesterday or two yeah. days ago. And like now I feel like the van can just stay and I can take the bike if I ever want to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So There's the, like The space a is settle. always changing. Yeah. Yeah. That was and hard to get the hang of though. I was just going to ask you, was that not necessarily those words, but how did you arrive at kind of a comfort in the various environments, both internally and externally, and their relationship to each other? Um, That's kind of a loaded question. No, no, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying with it. it it's hard. Like, I, I have found that my favorite space with the van is to be, like, settled down in an area for a little while. I've been here for over a month, and I've been kind of like other places around sure. here, but pretty well, like, here. Uh, I really like that. I... I want more places like that that just have everything. They have service, they have resources, they have beautiful views. Like we're looking at a huge mountain range. Yeah. You know, for the desert, it's pretty damn good. Um, it's kind of, yeah, like I, that's my preference. I like that space most, but I do have times where I have to like make my way somewhere, like going through California. Not as fun as being out here, I'll be honest. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I have to roll with it. And it's it's challenging. I find that I'm not mentally my best self. I find that like I get caught up in that. There's a lot of decision making that I don't want to do. I find that I can't fall into re routine stuff that I like doing. Yeah. Because you're just not in an environment where uh, I don't always feel comfortable like doing yoga outside. You know, I will do yoga in a parking lot in a national park or something because I don't think anyone would care. Yeah. But like when you're on the side of a road in a sketchy place. Yeah, or a parking lot in yeah, San like, Diego. Yeah. Like there are just times when it's not it's not fun. Um so I don't know. I'm trying to navigate that. I see everything like a practice. I see like this is my preference in van life. And sure. I see that like travel life is going to be challenging, but I want to sit within that and I wanna like um find uh not comfort, but like openness within it. Yeah. And embracing. not get caught up in yeah. Don't get caught up in like um, it not being my preference. That's such a great way to say that because we do. I reflected on my my interest in control is um, just simply noticing that I'm not okay with the way that the moment is unfolding, and then and then why? And then why? <laughs> Ask <and> then yourself <laughs> what I'm going to do about it, and but maybe it's not doing anything. And exactly, that ends up being a lot of the answer. And then sometimes it means taking aff affirmative action once I've arrived at that place. I'm like, oh, I don't like this. And I do see the next best step. Yeah. Or I've arrived at this feeling of discontent and I'm going to sit in it and embrace it and f 
not necessarily force myself into contentedness or whatever that word is, but but embrace, but accept and find flow again, even if it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's just surrender yeah, to another, another thing. Another I mean, like our, our lives maybe aren't what we want them to be. I would say my life is way more in alignment with what I want it to be. So it's a little bit easier to be open because like yeah. my models are actually aligning with what's happening. But yeah. What do you mean by models? Um, that. I know like, what you mean. Yeah, though. like models are basically just how I expect the world to function. And um, I think that's like the biggest thing that we're all going through is getting caught up in, well, it's not that. Therefore, I'm going to have dissonance toward it. I'm going to be angry toward it. I'm going to act ugly um, to myself. I'm going to act ugly to other people because it's not what I want. It's like throwing a tantrum. Mm, yeah. Because it's not what you want it to be. Um, yeah. And I think the biggest thing we can do is just learn how to like let go of the models and just be cool with whatever it is. And that's, that's hard. Um, that's one thing I really love about band life is that I've created a life that is simple enough for me to understand what I'm doing, everything that's going on. Yeah. I have a grasp of it, right? Like last night I was telling you, I was looking at land and stuff like that. It's like, fuck, this is really hard on me right now because mm. because going into that space and thinking into the future, even though like I know I want to do that, it starts making me realize like, I don't know how to go about that process. Like I've bought a home before and that's pretty simple, but like buying a blank piece of land and what can I do with that? Can I like do off-grid housing when I'm surrounded mm. by normal homes? It makes me it makes me think so much about things that I don't understand. Whereas the van is kind of like, this is it. Like you just park it on a piece of land where you're allowed to be. You know how the vehicle functions. You know that like you take it here, it, it just takes up a parking space. My whole life is in that. So I feel like having that environment that I like understand um, that doesn't overwhelm me because there are, I don't know, maybe maybe I do like, there's a lot of uncertainty within that, but it's also like, it's something I can do, right? Yeah. There's something about like having that environment to let go of um, a lot of other things. So then I can actually have my life the way I want it to be. I can understand like how it functions and I can have enough like space to hear like what is, um, what's happening within. Like mm. to simplify, I mean, that's ultimately what we're doing here, right? It's like we're just simplifying our lives to the point where uh, we can actually hear what we need to do for ourselves. Because when I From was from ourselves, yes. Because yeah. when I was in a city and I had constant work stuff and constant like uh, communication and things, and it was just like chaos all the time. Even though my life was pretty simple compared to most everyone's, yeah, it was still like God. It's still way more chaotic than I want it to be. So this has been cool because I, I I basically have stripped myself back to nothing. Uh, I don't feel like. Uh, if I'm not a good person out here, then like I'm not going to have things happen for me in life. Like in South Dakota, I'm sure that people knew me. People respected me because of work stuff. Um, but there were times where I was really open, really like the person who I wanted to be. And there were times where I was really upset with my life and people saw that, you know what I mean? And I didn't like that anymore. I didn't like that. I was able to have like some people like me based on certain interactions and some people not. And there was this thing where like, I'm sure people thought really highly of me and some people were like, well, I had a weird interaction with him and I don't, hmm. you know what I mean? So this has been good to get out into like nothingness. We're like, I'm a nobody out here. Yeah. Nobody, nobody knows me. I don't even have like social media stuff anymore other than my Facebook. Um, and I'm cool with that. I really like having, uh, 
it's kind of like the doc I watched, like the becoming nobody thing. But there's a, there's a point where I probably took it too far, um, because I think I I went too deep into the spiritual path and I let I I didn't hang on to like I'm still a human. I didn't accept like I was still a human. And as soon as I started getting more on board with that and being like, I do have a mind, I do have a body, I don't identify as those things, but I have those and like this life and what's going on here and the people I interact with is my vehicle to growth. It's not like sitting in my van and meditating and avoiding all the shit. It's yeah. it's literally like using that as a retreat to re-enter. Yeah. Yeah, like retreat wow. is about re-entry, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the only reason you do it is to be more functional. Yeah. In, and that's the thing that I think a lot of, I'm my, I'll speak for myself, I get caught up in my spiritual actions as something that's just about me but and it is but the only reason that I started those things in the first place was because there's some sort of um displeasure or discontentment or or something in a relationship that sparks that that makes me go inward retreat inward work on that thing but not just to stay there to come back up for air and reintegrate into the world and that's where communication becomes so important is like well i'm not doing anybody a service to do all this work on myself just to be a jerk again and i, I won't be or ugly to myself that that's that's not what i did that for i go inward so i can be a cooler person <laughs> outward cooler yeah. as in not like in a uh, egotistical no, way, but like a, a chill person kind and open and, yeah, exactly. and loving. Lo like, it's all about love loving yeah mm -hmm. loving and yeah. gentle and like i go through hell with myself to be a more gentle loving person and i i think that a lot of things get missed in that but you've said it so perfectly and i want to highlight it before we get too far away is that van life aside specifics of your lifestyle aside it's your I'll put it in a sentence, your ability to create an environment of safety, security, and understanding and care and love for yourself internally and externally. That is not contingent upon your necessarily the lifestyle in its outward appearance. Yeah. It's your inner lifestyle that you worked on. And the van life thing is a vehicle, but that's, I've been thinking, chewing on this in the back of my mind, and I, it finally wants to be told to me is that the adventure inward, this this inward journey is about that, making a conducive for love and care and concern and um, community within ourselves for, for the outside. And we're all kind of we're all kind of nomads in that way. We're all wandering around, bumping into each other, looking for, you know, at the end of the day, kind of like sex and snacks and <laughs> like some type of connection. <laughs> and so I, we're all on that. But even that's just that. a desire. You know what I mean? But we're fueled. That's where the human part comes into play. Yeah. And we are spiritual beings. And I totally believe in all that. And, and that's what we go inward and retreat to understand the shadow and the self and the ego. And the, and then the integration comes into play. And I'm like, and I'm human. And I'm, I have a corporeal form. I am not only my form, but I am not only my name. And I'm not only my name or where I'm from or what I what I was born into and religion and all that stuff, but those are also part of my specific journey. Yeah. This samsara, this dharma, this whatever I'm living through. And so if I'm gonna integrate and apply what I learn 
and these guru or spiritual teachings in life, I have to, I want to incorporate both of those. I want to acknowledge the chaos and, you know, the dirty front seat and the very tidy, nice counter and clean (laughs) kitchen sink. Like, I am reflected in my environment and in the people that I experience and how they experience me. I agree. Yeah. Where where do you want to go with it? <laughs> I don't know. The inner um that kind of wrapped up that particular point and it was kind of fun in a bit of a debrief as we were still talking that you took us on a journey of your van external experience but all I heard while you were talking was your inner experience yeah and did it I guess did it feel like you were talking about the journey that you went on in inwardly that every every move you make like move the mug and then something else happens like everything influences itself so I I think what I want you to speak on next is the interconnectedness that you've seen play out between what? Your inner world and your outer world oh. at each step. And not go deep dive because yeah. I feel like you already did. Yeah, yeah. No, but it specifically it's, on the interconnected. A lot is a lot has changed within, I would say. Um some people definitely know this about me, some people don't, but I used to be extremely anxious all the time. Like uh, up into until like um probably six months into van life. I was like pretty painfully anxious. What what did that what was that experience like? Can you give me an example of how that would um, play I out? I think what what happened was it was very triggered by um my younger years. I was always a very sensitive kid and there were benefits that came from that and there were big disadvantages that came from that. Yeah. And I think um bully type characters in my life have really really hurt me because I I think for a long time um you know, when I got older, I started realizing like to not take things personally, to realize like where that actually comes from, from other people. Sure. And realize that, I mean, it's like the hurt people, hurt people thing. Sure. And, and not only that, not only just to say, well, like, uh, cause some people write it off like, well, that person's an asshole. Don't listen to them. It's like, well, that's not deep enough because really where it comes from is you have to see that person who's acting ugly to you and love them. Like see the compassion for like, um, because if, if we're all like souls or whatever, we're all in different predicaments. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want to consider it. Yeah. Energy, soul, whatever you want to call it is what I mean by that. But I, I think like if I have my own predicament. I have my own stuff to work through. That person has theirs. Yeah. My life has been really painful. And there's been a lot of suffering in a lot of ways. And I understand that like there are people who are suffering way more than I am to act that way to other people. So I didn't have a grasp of that until I got older though. I grew up in an environment. I don't think a lot of us did. I, I think like that's something that um, could be taught a little bit, but it's really only like known when it's known. It's like mm. an awakening moment. Like when the light's on, it's on. But until then, you don't know. And like, yeah, people are selling selling you these little like small little tidbits, like you know, to get you through it. But it doesn't explain it the way maybe you need to because it's not just words that explain it. I mean, whoa, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because words are to us and like energy, if you consider us energy, like words are the most compressed, simple thing ever. Like, how do you take just a few words 
and expand them to fully feel the energy that you need to, to radically change yourself. Oof. Yeah, I mean, it comes. Yeah. It comes over time. So anyway, what I'm getting to is when I grew up, uh, I didn't have a grasp of that. I had people bully me for things that um, were out of my control. Also for just being myself. I was different. I grew up in a town of 1,300 people. Wow. I grew up on a farm and I, um, yeah, I was surrounded by people who uh, typically didn't think beyond like what was happening in the environment. Like they just conformed in a lot of ways. That's not everyone. There were a lot of people doing more unique things, but I was, I was like, um, just a little more unique than most people. I was riding unicycles. I was like doing a lot of things on my own. Um, but I think a lot of that also came from isolation because I think I got hurt pretty early on from people. It's always people who you were friends with when you were a kid. Mm. Like I remember some, um, it was really just boys, a few boys who were like, we were really good friends when we were younger. Um, and then I don't know what happened. We just grew apart or like, I, I didn't feel like I could be my natural self around them. Cause I, I've sensed judgment and it was probably just them taking out their own problems on me. Um, but that really hurt because they were people who I knew, mm. who I cared about. And now they were turning on me and they were making my life really difficult every day. Um, I had that. And it was really hard in, um, in school because there were so few people in my class. I was constantly around the same characters. And they were constantly able to like play on that. And it's like, yeah, it's hard to think about now because I still feel that pain, right? Sure. Um, but it made me feel just not safe. I didn't feel safe around people. I mean, that was really a point where, um, and it has, it has two things. That was my external world where I didn't feel safe about like my environment. Um, but internally, I turned that on myself and I was like, well, what's wrong with me? Because I, I'm not good enough for these people or something. You know what I mean? Even though like, I feel like I'm doing my best. Uh, it was, yeah, but that was the polarity. Those are the polarities, I think. So at that point yeah. in time, one, I started, um, fearing other people and their thoughts. And I started judging myself more. I mean, there was always an element of that, but that, that really, really triggered that. And then it was just years of, uh, not loving people, being frustrated with people, being very conditional about who I loved. Um, being really hard on myself, not accepting where I was in the present moment. Um, and that's still part of my practice. I mean, this is like, this is basically me unraveling over the years is, I'm taking that core thing that was um, put into me. And, you know, I think I had a really good family too, but I had challenging things there as well. Um, my dad was a really good guy, but he was like a really hardworking guy with like very high expectations. Um, and at, at some point, you don't even need someone to like put the expectations on you. You just start doing it, you know? Uh, and that was me. Like, I don't think, I think my parents would say, well, they never, they never told me to like get good grades or whatever. Yet I was like, making sure I got good grades. Even if I was kind of like hacking my way through it, I was still getting the grade, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that like, that shaped me in a big way. And then I think van life, uh, it took some time to wear that off. I think I was really um, still hurt. Uh, I was letting go of things, but like two months into van life, I did my first um, kind of like meetup with other people who are nomads. This is kind of like my first time in a few months where I actually had a little bit of a community. It was more than one-on-one stuff. One-on-one stuff has always felt pretty safe to me. Yeah. Because I don't feel like there's influence from other people to talk and like poison the mind of someone and mm. how they think of you. 
Wow. I mean, that pain in that. Yeah, that's that's absolutely, I think, what happens and why group dynamics are a little bit scary to people who prefer individual stuff. Because in individual stuff, one, you can send your energy in that one direction and you can have, a, you can just be real with a person and there's no outside influence. But yeah, yeah, you get more people and then there's just like chatter and then it just, yeah, kind of ruins people's perceptions. Anyway, so I did New Year's with a bunch of Van people. I met a lot of great friends, but it was also like really challenging. And um, I was, letting go of a lot of things. I was still learning a lot of things. Um, you know, here I was 28 years old or whatever, and I'm still, you know, like working on self-love things that I've put off my whole life because I've spent a lot of years of not taking care of myself. Yeah. You know, um, in so many ways, I mean, so it was hard to be around this environment of people and have some people be really loving and open, like what I want it to be, but also have some people be really uh, kind of closed off and and angry. And, you know, I'm still learning, like to not take it personally, but yeah. it, it really hurt because I think I had expectations of the van life to be more open because like everyone was doing it. But that's like going to your neighbor when you live in a house and being like, oh, you own a house, so we must be the same person. It's not the case. I think we are fundamentally on a similar level in van life where, yes, we are doing a similar lifestyle. We have values of minimalism, but I would say people are still very different. Um, but I would say that's mainly just where people are at with like letting go of things and loving more. I, I think that's the timeline of people, I believe, is like how much have people let go of the past and how much are people accepting of like where they're at and where they're loving and I think that's where we're actually are like aligning. That's where we're like meeting each other and we're finding that because, you know, you meet people who don't have the same interests as you or whatever. It is nice to meet someone who has the same interests as you, but I find that I have more connection with like, you and I don't have, um, we, we have things in common. Almost nothing in common. Well, we have yoga and we have some music stuff, but we're not like talking about that. What we're talking about is like what actually makes us the same. Wow. I I couldn't have put that in a more eloquent, articulate way of, and there's a very visual thing coming to me of the what you'd said is the timeline of people is the, our abilities to connect with each other on a more loving and, and soulful way is our, is rel, relational to our ability to kind of let go of the past and be present. Yeah. And that cannot be dictated by anybody in your, like, small shreds and crumbs of words to help people move this kind of thing along. But, yeah, you know when you know when it's time to let go of a certain thing or you're holding on to it. And the things that you hold on to or let go of make you relatable to one person or another. And I totally agree that that's such a powerful visual for me right now. Of, And that's where the, the phrase or the concept of people being mirrors to you comes into play is like oh I can see that you've let go of certain things or you've arrived at certain things and that makes sense to me where I'll meet somebody and me letting go of being mad at my parents at 31 years old for mistakes that they made doesn't make sense to them like okay well then that's not ref that's just not reflected back at what they've arrived at themselves yeah. and it doesn't mean that they're wrong there's there's not even a, at that point a concept of right or wrong because again personal timelines soul timelines like karma life um i think that's such a beautiful thing to to help embody empathy cognitive empathy of like oh i can see 
that that's your timeline. There's absolutely no reason to ever judge that. And then in turn, never judge myself for the times that I didn't understand that what I understand now and that I'll continue to arrive at different things and, and look back on, wow, I had to go through that and this and I had to trip up there, but I had to succeed here and and meet that person and then that person do XYZ thing. And now I've arrived at this new place constantly with these awarenesses. So that's such an awesome thing to arrive at with the how people relate, especially in van life, because I, I do agree that there is a bit of a expectation that people will be a certain way. Yeah. And it took me a, a more than a year <laughs> into van life this just this last year for me to be really stripped of the expectations that I had of what community is and what relationships are and what friendship is and what soul connection with somebody and going right into it with gentle, loving care because I've had to turn that eye inwards to gentle, loving care. And the van has very little to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, but it puts you in these environments where everything is so fresh all the time. Everything is so new. Yeah. I think maybe that's um, navigating that was a little bit of my expectation of just primarily leaving South Dakota maybe. You know, because I felt like I did have some good friends in South Dakota, um, and I still do. I still have some really uh, core people there. Um, what was really challenging for me is my life has always been very kind of just kind of open like it is here, too. Like, I've always been a freelancer. Yeah. I've always had way more time than other people. I have had relationships, but not that often. Like, it's usually me single. I just had a lot of time. Yeah. And I think what was challenging was like some of my best friends were um, married or they have kids and they don't have as much time. And uh, I was already coming from a place of really lacking connection with people. I mean, I lacked that. I really did. I wanted, I wanted to like connect with people. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to, I wanted to love people, but I was just like too critical because these are the things, right? I was in fear of being hurt. And I was also angry at myself for being so critical of people and of critical of myself. Wow. So yeah. it was this thing, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm still, I still navigate it, but I just feel like way better than I used to, I guess. <laughs> and I think I, I just had this expectation that van life would um, be so quick to letting go of a lot of that stuff because I'd have a fresh start. And then I realized like... Um, yeah, like if you're neurotic in South Dakota, you're going to be neurotic in Arizona. And like, it's not, it's not the, lo and I knew this, right? Like I knew the location wasn't going to change everything in my life. Yeah. But there's a part of you that senses the change right away and there's the fresh stuff, but then it's like, ah, there it is again. There's that same thing, that same thing I, I used to feel. They here it is again. Um, so I really, yeah, I really had to just go in. Uh, I had to I had to face my stuff. I think the biggest things I had to really face to let go of a lot of it was just letting go of the past. Yeah. My practice right now is more so um, trying to be more present and let go of like future things. Mm. Uh, the past stuff, I feel like I've done a lot of work on that that I needed to do to just accept like how things went and not get so angry at myself for how things were. Like um, 
two days ago, I listened to this album that I put out when I was 20. And every other time I've ever listened to that album, I've been so critical of myself for mm. not being this, for not being perfect, for me not having the voice I wanted to at that time. Um, but I listened to this album and I was like, damn, that's a badass album for a 20 year old. I saw it from a different perspective. I saw it from like, you know, I'm 10 years past that nearly now. What changed if that's what happened two days ago from the time that you listened to it before that to the time that you listened? Yeah, it was probably a year gap between those times. Okay. Um, well, a big shift happened within music too. Music's been a really sensitive place for me because music was something that was primarily post high school, kind of like early college, late high school, early college hmm. that I was really deeply involved with. I was playing a lot. I was, I was getting booked. Um, we were like selling out coffee shops with the band I was in. It was crazy. And I, I always knew I was kind of like the weakest link in the band, even though I was like the front man of it. Hmm. I knew that my voice wasn't as good as like, um, other people's might've been, uh, I knew I was just surrounded by really great musicians, but also my songs were good. Yeah. And that's why it like stood up and that's why we were doing it. That's why we we're passionate about it. But uh, I was sensitive. I didn't have a lot of experience of singing. I didn't have a lot of, um, uh, I didn't have a lot of education of it either. Right. I came from a school where the teacher was like, so fucking overwhelmed by everything that they couldn't like take a student from zero to hero with singing. That's true. Yeah, so I had a lot of years where I was sensitive about that and I, I faced a little bit of criticism from people because when you put yourself out there on that level where you're putting out music and you're playing live, you're bound to have a couple people be a dick to you. <laughs> yep. And um, that happened a few times. And I, I think one of the more traumatic things that happened to me is that I really liked, I was a pretty like in my head angry person at the world in college. Uh, and I, I know that. But I also felt like that was my place where I was myself. Like I didn't have a whole town of people um, kind of, you know, quote unquote, like uh, expecting me to be a certain way. Sure. Like I wasn't within the typical structure that I'd been in for 18 years. And um, so I felt like I could express myself more. And I don't know. I remember this one time my friend booked me for a, an event. It was like this pancakes and... It was like something with peas. It was like a pepple is my last name. So it's like pancakes, pepple, and something else, right? Pancakes with pepple. <laughs> yeah. But it was like it was like all the kids in college, uh, or like at least the freshmen and sophomores, it was all of them in a room and I was like the music for them. Oh gosh. And it was like it's one thing to play at a coffee shop in front of people who like go to the Red Rooster, like the coffee shop that I went to that are very open to music and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to play for a bunch of like college athlete assholes. People, what was that like? Really hard. Yeah. And it was really a, a bad experience because I didn't feel welcome. I had people who were like, I don't think many people even like clapped. And I was playing like a full set. You know what Whoa. I mean? Whoa. Yeah, I, I just felt like so judged. It just brought up um, like high school bully kind of stuff. Yeah. For, uh, it was just on blast basically. And I don't know, it, it's not like I faced a lot of criticism from that, but I think I, I had that that happen. And then like a few comments after that, I just kind of shut music out of my life. I just agreed within myself, like I'm not good enough for this. Um, like there are just better people who are going to do this. Cause I, I knew like I was surrounded by people who are better than me at it. 
even though they weren't the ones writing the songs, they weren't mm. doing what was like the heart of the, the music. Uh, yeah, I just had an experience like that and it really brought up a bunch of trauma. Wow. And uh, yeah, and I shut music out for years. And um, the day you and I met, which is New Year's this last year, was the first time I played live in like eight years. Stop. And I missed your set. It's okay. <laughs> but I've gotten a morning one. So yeah, I yeah. I've played you a few songs since. <laughs> That's really great though. But that was a, that was a lot to deal with. But yeah. I knew... I knew after like the work I've done over the past year, um, I just knew that like it was time to do it and it was time to just accept where I was. And I knew I was getting a little better at singing because I was in an environment where, I mean, when I had a house or whatever, yeah, I had a house, but I was still afraid to sing because I was afraid of my neighbors, like literally a wall, an air gap and a wall away wow, from hearing me. Yeah. Did you feel support? Like what did it feel like? to be up there in that new space internally and externally? Um, it was still challenging. Sure. Because I, I wanted it to be better than it was. And I walked away like pretty, uh, like I was happy that I did it and I knew I did my best and I knew that was what it was about, but I still walked away like pretty um, strange feeling. Like yeah. it, it definitely brought up like uh, feelings of not doing something well enough. It's a really hard environment to be in too because like if you have any sense of nerves, there goes your like perfect vocals. Yes, I totally yeah, I mean, relate. It's such a sensitive thing because your breath is attached to it. Like that you have to be, to sing properly, you have to have breath, you have to have confidence, you have to have like relaxation. There's just a lot of stuff that goes into it. Yeah. So I still felt good and a lot of people, um, a lot of people really, really liked it. And yeah. you know, I like shrugged off some, some, uh, uh, What's the word? Like people saying they really liked it. I like shrug that off. Like, oh, I could have done better. That kind of thing, sure, you know? Yeah. But I still felt really good doing it. But, but also I'm the one who agreed to be there in that situation. And, you know, Mike, the guy who put it on, um, one of my good road friends who I met at New Year's the year before, mm -hmm. um, he asked me and I just thought about it and I had resisted it once before. I was like, I, I'd never do that. Yeah. And this time I was like, you know what? I'm going to say yes because it's going to force me to actually work on music for a, two weeks or whatever it was. And I was way more prepared. Yeah. And here I am now, like, I'm not singing every single day. And I, that shows, like, I, I could be a lot stronger and I could be taking off more with it. And I know, like, what it takes for work now. But I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I, like, signed up for that. I'm glad I, all I had to do is put together, like, an eight-song set, you know? Yeah. Um, and just do my best and see how it felt. And I don't know, it was, a. Uh, I learned things and it made me realize like, okay, I, I actually do want to like do this. I do want to get these skills down. I don't know what's going to happen with it. I would love to put out an album and for it to move people because I think like the heart of the music comes from um, a very like soul and human experience. I'm not writing superficial shit, never have. Nope. <laughs> and I really like that. I mean, I, I think the world needs that and it's not for everyone. It, not everyone is going to resonate with it because not everyone's at that point or it, maybe I just don't sound the way that some people are going to want it to sound. And that's okay. I'm pretty critical of music too, most days. There's so much to take away um, from that. What's really awesome is your recollection and ref and ability to articulate your your intimate experience of being on stage and doing that and before and during and now after and i think that's so 
if there's anything that I would ever encourage people to do is to stay with themselves to the extent where they can be before, be uh, with themselves before, during, and after experiences that are challenging like that. Yeah. Because I can relate intimately to what you're saying because I read my poetry. For and I've never done an open mic. I've never read poetry. I've never read those poems. Really? Out loud? No, never. How'd it go? It, and it was, I can echo some of that experience. I didn't, I wasn't going to get up there in the open mic until I was sitting on the mat and other people were saying stuff and another guy came went up there and wrote his poetry and I was I didn't even realize that was an option because I was going to play the uke but I didn't feel super good and New Year's was an extremely challenging experience for me too because that was the first time I'd done any van meetup or anything after a really traumatic experience happening in May and then those six months of depression and solitude in Colorado mm. So even going to New Year's and saying yes was kind of like the the thing that I'll take away from it is the saying yes to myself, to other people, and then yes internally. And then looking at the stage and the setup and the opportunity and saying yes to the opportunity and yes to myself. And no one cared what I did. No one cared either way of whether I did it or not. Yeah. And it is so much about the work that we do on ourselves is echoed in those moments, those really small, small, subtle moments where we say, yes, okay, I'm going to sign up for or agree to do a set. And then what you'd said of putting yourself in that position, you agreed, you made an agreement with yourself to show up in a certain type of way. And whatever happened after that would be whatever happened. Hmm. But the presence that you had with yourself through that is evident. I guess. And so yeah. those are the times, again, that prove that like, you have to put, we, we have to put ourselves in experiences that help us integrate. We can't just be sitting down and being like, wow, I, you know, if an opportunity came, I would definitely say yes. It's like, well, an opportunity comes and whether you say yes or not is the moment of integration. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I think that in a small moment of knowing or not knowing, kind of taking it back to the the journey that we're all going on and traveling around internally and externally is we're running around looking for opportunities to connect or to be part of something bigger, to participate in life, to be our fullest expression and potential and it's it's not some big overwhelming thing it's like that moment to get up on stage and read poems that I'd never said before out loud except for to myself and maybe very 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 close friends in very comfortable like consensual environment where they asked me and I was able to say yes I had a lot of control over who was who was hearing that from me and so to say those really intimate poems in a group of strangers and then for like my work would have been in the same vein of saying like wow that was really powerful for me to do that for myself I was so vibing with myself after it didn't really? I didn't matter at all what other people I was so proud of myself mm. from like from every core part of my being the little inner child the um, hurt person from the year before, the 
left an abandoned 14 year old and my mom like every single part of me was just like mm-hmm Yes, yes. Very nice. I'm glad you felt good after it. Very good I didn't feel as good. but. And that's the thing, though. Like, you've learned different things about yourself, being able to say that you didn't feel good afterwards and see, like, maybe where there's more opportunity to to say yes again, agree with yourself in different ways, or or maybe say no because you need different things that you've learned you need before that. I realize it's just preparation. I mean, how do you expect to go up? acoustic guitar and vocals and like be at a professional level after eight years of not doing it and you never were a professional yeah like what like what kind of expectation is that and maybe that's what you're arriving at right now in this conversation is like giving yourself a little bit of grace and that is really powerful yeah but i wonder we're like i i don't maybe there's like a method i don't realize to that yet but i want to figure <laughs> that out like i want to figure out how to give myself more grace and just accept a lot of things and i I mean, does it come back to gratitude to you? Not in that word, honestly. I don't use the word grace and at and gratitude and like uh, s- spirit. I do kind of intermittently, but I'm not over here like yes. And then I was graced by my divine higher <laughs> self for yeah. the moment of grace and complete rapture. Like I'm not talking like that. I'm like you know. I beam from every point and cell. It's very, the intention that I set and I see, I distill it back to the essence of what I was trying to do and accomplish. And when, and that was just express. Yeah. So if I was to say, okay, well, I, I, there was a moment where I felt inspired to express. I had something to express. There was an opportunity presented to me to express. I said yes to it and I did. And then I pinpoint the thing that I feel I feel I tried to accomplish. Mm. And it's not necessarily, I'm very, what I think I'm very thoughtful about is that I wasn't looking for accolades or for applause or for anything. It was a very about me situation that I knew, and this is years and years and years of work seeing this play out, is that I knew that me doing something very special and intimate for myself had a natural byproduct of moving people and that they came up after me and they were shooketh by my poems. And and I'm like, I was happy to say like, yes, I was very shaken with my poems too. And I'm so happy that I could share that with you and so happy I was given the opportunity to express them and that you got to hear them and now we're friends. And like, I, I've done a lot of work on realizing how that cascade happens. Yeah. And... I don't actually have to really worry about anything. And that is what I say to myself, what somebody would say, like, oh, wow, you're very graceful with yourself. You're very appreciative and gratitude and share a lot of gratitude. And I'm just like, I'm just like not worried about much because I think think I'm great at a really fundamental level. Hmm. That's the work that I've done. And so... There are moments of self-criticism and doubt and stuff, and I I follow them, and I'm like, okay, well, what do you need? What do you have to say? Like, you're new here because I've worked so hard to welcome in, and it's like one of those things that where you don't when you don't fight something, it stops being a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's something I'm still working through. I just uh, I am still critical of myself in a lot of ways. I know. Yeah, but it's getting better. And I'm also falling in love with things for the right reasons now, too. 
That's very, very different. That's like, very special. Yeah, a lot of it, you know, for in a lot of the activities that I do, I feel like I just wanted to be good at it. I don't know if that was for approval of others. Maybe. Maybe it was like... Maybe it started there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. But now it's kind of interesting because I look at all the things I do and it's like, well, what do you actually do it for? It's like getting better at it, right? Yeah. Like just incrementally better at it. It's not about being good. But I also think that there's something cool about you get so present with everything that, especially singing, but, you know, climbing, riding motorcycles, a lot of these things. I'm doing a lot of things that are like requiring a presence to be able to actually execute them. Yes. Some are with like your life on the line. Sure. Which is like really easy to make the right moves with that. But with singing, it's interesting because it's like you have to be present enough to be able to like put your intention toward doing something and then actually doing it in a moment. I think that's really cool. Like imagining the energy that is going to come out of you and then like doing it. And it's fucking wild. I know. And singing, honestly, I've spent so many years, um, even in my own space alone, without the judgment of other people, feeling unsafe because in my mind, I'm so worried about like, what will someone think of me down the road? Yeah. Or like, and it, you know, and it's all based on like, what has it been? And uh, yeah. It's, yeah, and it, it's to the point where I can't even be present within an environment where I should be 100% perfectly safe to be who I want to be. Honestly, I think there's a big element of van life that I chose for that reason. It's like an, it's an ability to get into an environment where you are completely away from everything and everyone to the point where you can build yourself up. Truly, yeah, I yeah. completely agree. Like, I think that's one of the biggest things why I like certain environments that I'm in and why I'm like more okay with being around people now. Yeah. Because I'm starting to understand, like, I can still be myself. Like, you and I are camped across from each other. It's not uh, it's not as easy for me to be, like, next to someone as it is for me to be in the middle of nowhere. But there's also something, like, really good that comes from it. Yeah. Well, I had my door closed all day yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very alone-together type of person. And I've, inversely, I've exercised my release in that as, like, not worrying what you think about me being reclusive and um, taking the day to myself. Like, if you ask, I'll tell you the truth, which is I took a day to myself. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. And I've worked in my internal experience of, like, not overthinking that that's a problem. I'm not a problem for having my own space and taking my own no. time. And that's something that I've had to work on with my child. And my big thing for a, parents, teachers, peers in— People don't talk about necessarily, I think a lot of the rhetoric is around healing the inner child and whatnot about from the parent and neglect and what you got from the parent, what you didn't get from the parent and blah, blah, blah. But I think what our peers do too, when we're really young, four, five, six, also influences our aunts and uncles, our yeah, siblings. Everything in life does. Cause everything. Because it, it all molds our perception of how we think things are supposed to be. Exactly. And I um I completely agree with the challenge of van life is that there's nowhere to there's sometimes there's nowhere to run and ironically you could go anywhere <laughs> to escape yeah. but there is still no escape from me closing my door and facing whether I'm going to criticize myself for being reclusive and wondering what you think about me and not worrying about it yeah and Truly it's also not for, worrying about for it. me in that situation to work through. Not taking that personally. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, I'm the same way. I need my own space, too. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And there's, I think there's having faith. Like, I would say what I'm taking on more is having faith that I'm doing things for the right reasons and that no matter what, as long as I'm doing them for the right reasons and I'm being honest with myself, then the fluidity of communicating with you about it if you ask or or not being a thing at all and like being in tune with my own energy about it should this be said should this not be said doesn't doesn't matter and having faith that my intuition will tell me what the best next move is when we did find ourselves interacting again which is like I opened my window and then we had a nice conversation but still separated and I was like that was this is ideal really because I'm doing my own thing that is the best thing about van life though is that like if your door is open you're like open to people. <laughs> yeah, it's a very physical. Uh, I love that about it, though. Yeah, I love that it's like I'm gonna do my own thing. My door's gonna close for a while. And so many people in van life have all these reservations, but they had all those reservations when they weren't in the van. And I think it that speaks to what you had said earlier of I was this way when I wasn't in the van, and now I'm this way when I'm in the van, and we're just more upfront about it. And I yeah. dove headfirst into van life knowing that. I was like, yes, fuck me up, shadow self. <laughs> and I did. I got super <laughs> fucked up. Um, I didn't in the first year. I was like, wow, this is great. But last year, I was definitely very, it was very, very, very confronting. And I, I, couldn't be more grateful to myself this is where i would add the word gratitude and so grateful for my to myself for doing all the work and listening to all the things and following all the breadcrumbs before moving into the van and then moving into the van and then letting it ride literally ride itself out and then arrive at different places of absolute fuckery in surrender last year and the van being a vessel of surrender, both in following where I felt where I felt good to go, where it didn't feel good to go, um, making sure my space was clean and cleansed became really important because there's nowhere to run. I don't have a home. I don't have a place, a different place to go. I don't have a partner. I don't have a pet. I have nothing to distill the inner chaos I felt, and. I loved that. I found love in that. And on the other side of it, um, it's a very like following that that experience and fully surrendering to it that made it not only go, I would, the objective wasn't to get through it. There was no objective. It was just, I'm in it. And really being present with that experience was the practice last year. And I let myself unfurl over and over and over again and in hindsight, I'm so glad that I did that with so much awareness and intention. No, I don't drink anymore. I got I went, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, I don't do anything. I just write and talk to people if I feel like I need to talk to people or scream into pillows if I feel like I can't <laughs> talk to anybody. Yeah. I found really healthy ways to cope with myself and or shadow just parts of my psyche that were not oh I was not aware of until something traumatic happened and then I was aware of them and that took a lot of preemptive work and then to come all the way on the other side of that was maybe the moment of the open mic and I'm sitting on stage and I I remember distinctly like reading these poems 
And I'd always imagined myself providing context when I, like how some artists, like when you go to their shows and they're like, I wrote this song. Yeah, like a storyteller session thing. Yes, exactly. And I was, I always imagined that I would have or be a good storyteller. It was a perfect environment for that at New Year's too. Yeah, it was beautiful to do that. And, and I... Another thing that I did intentionally from like from all that and my point is like from all that facing myself, I was able to stand up on stage and look people in the eye in between telling a story about the context or where a poem came from or then starting to read it. My hand was shaking. My voice was shaking. But I looked up and I paused and I paced and I I knew I was connecting with people in what I was saying because I was so fucking present and that was because I was present with everything else before that, that I could be present with a good, a good, beautiful moment of intimate expression. Yeah. And so it's, it's really just leaning into every time it's uncomfortable. It's like, uh, uh, like, even though it doesn't feel good, you're just like, okay, I'm in another moment of, of surrender. And then those moments of good come and it's there's no doubt that there's good there's no doubt that it's connection there's there's just no questioning of it um there's no criticism there it's impossible to criticize myself in those moments because i'm like wow how awesome yeah (laughs) okay wow what a mush session for me um (laughs) how long have we been recording uh I think like an hour and a half. Yeah. Wow. Um, really great stuff. So, so rapid fire. How old are you? 29, just about 30. When's your birthday? March 10th, 93. 93. Um, what's your favorite state? Is it Arizona or is it somewhere else since you've been lots of places? Yeah, I would say Arizona. Still. Um... Does your van have a name? Ganesh. Why? Because it, it is gray and it looks like a giant elephant and it's like the remover of obstacles. Damn. Um, favorite color? Um, kind of like seafoam green or like kind of more on the blue end. I don't know if that's like tealish or something like that. Um, seafoam, seafoam green is the color. Um, favorite band off the top of your head what are you listening to on replay right now kind of a lot of single stuff um favorite band though i would say sorry this isn't rapid that's okay i'm asking quickly so it counts <laughs> i really love noah gunderson okay it's a little too heavy sometimes for me but i i really uh i really love his album lover i think that's probably one of my favorite albums okay cool Um, if you had one piece of advice for listeners about the general topic of introspection and the inward journey and whatnot, whatever we covered today, what would it be? What's a, what's kind of a final thought or takeaway that you could share? Um, I would just remind people to face their resistance because there's always like something beautiful on the other side Mm. and it's challenging, um, but I feel like anything that you resist in life, once you move through it, it really is like the answer 
True. Because all it is is stored um, energy that you're not facing. It's like blockages, really. We didn't even talk about energy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we did in in more human The whole thing we did was talk about energy. I mean, that's all we're doing here. Not in so many words. Um, Do you have a favorite quote? Not really. I just have a few things that I say to myself. What's one of them, if you don't mind sharing? Um, See the soul, not the form. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Does that just, does that only specifically apply to people? No, it's anything. Lovely. Yeah. It's just realizing that um, whatever I actually am, everything is the same thing. And like, if I just get so caught up in what I think it is, that's, that's where it gets a little too challenging. Wonderful. Yeah. It's kind of like marrying both those things together. Yeah. I really like that. Um, 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 um. That's supposed to be rapid fire. <laughs> it's okay. I held this up on the music. Where are you going next? The big plans are going to be, um, I have some work stuff, but I also have a trip in Bali, which I've wanted to take it for years. And I'm really glad I'm doing that. I'm kind of doing like a self-retreat kind of thing. Nice. Um, going to take a little break from the van, explore like a different style of life again. Um, but also I want to go inward there too. I mean, the point is to really think about things. Um, but inward, no matter where I'm at, um, I think, yeah, right now I'm just working on like not being attached to the future too much. Like there are a lot of things that are going to come up. I have travel plans. I have potential like buying land kind of plans that are coming up. And I'm trying to not get like caught up in needing to be prepared for that. Even like I have work stuff coming up in a few weeks, like a video shoot. And I have not done a lot of video work in the past mm-hmm. year and a half or whatever. Um, and just remember that I know what I'm going to do and I'm going to like prepare a few days before then and kind of get refreshed on like doing that style of work again and worrying about it now is not going to like be the answer. Like just take it when it comes. I have time. So. Yeah. There's an intricate balance between prepara- preparation and presence. I th- sometimes yeah. I find that those things are at odds with each other because you're not in the moment because you're preparing for something that's in the future that you'll need to be present with too, but you need to be present now. It's, it gets a little messy, but what I think you're talking about is arriving like at the moments that require you to prepare and that's your presence. Yeah, and doing it when it's timely. Like I know I'm yeah. not unprepared to do this job or something, right? Yeah. I know that I just need a refresher and it doesn't make sense for me to unload all of my gear that's tucked away in the van to monkey around with it now when it's like, well, I could just do that when I need to get the gear prepped to go fly yeah, somewhere and do the job. Yeah. So like, I'll just do it then. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite flower? Very manly question to ask. <laughs> I'm not very good with flowers. <laughs> um, no, I don't. Okay. Thanks. So. Um, Thanks for asking. I, I'll get an answer for that next time. <laughs> um, just so the people know what to buy you. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite hiking trail? No, but I have a favorite climbing area, and I would say that's Red Rocks, uh, in right outside of Las Vegas. Nice. So if you're ever in Las Vegas, remember that there is really beautiful nature outside of the city. Yeah. And you should go because yeah, there's there. more to the strip. More than the strip there. And the busyness. Yeah, I find, I I really enjoyed, I did rock climb out there um, outdoors once. It was very nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I, really tall walls and it's just like great for adventure. Yeah. 
it's so funny in rock climbing how adventure is like we have this perhaps from fantasy movies and fiction and stuff this idea that adventure is elsewhere and it's not just in here and true to form in my adventure inward podcast idea but also in a very physical form of like a wall like rock climbing is adventure both inward and outward because you have to be so present on the wall and you have to make the right moves and you have to be extremely in tune with your body all those things are part of any adventure it's just like change of environment like drastic change of environment is like maybe what adventure really is huh yeah and that can be accomplished by it's such a funny thing to think that like i find writing to be an adventure it's changing my environment it's discovering new things it's turning over rocks it's exploring and somebody would see me like with my headphones on in a coffee shop like sipping six cups of coffee in a row while I'm like furiously writing but they have no idea what my inner experience of that is from the outside and so I think that it's kind of an interesting thing to think that the tall wall is like an adventure. It's like it's just right there and scaling it is adventurous and Yeah. It depends on it only seems to change what our perspective of a tall wall is and our abilities to climb it. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Do you have any rapid fire questions for me? What's a piece of advice you would give yourself? Like Right now, not old you, not well, old me, or but not like right now, because I know like certain things you're navigating based on like what you've told me. Like, what's the piece of advice that you think you need? It's usually the things that we're giving to other people are like the messages that we need for ourselves. Um, I am chronically not an advice giver. I <laughs> <laughs> unless specifically asked, and I get to ask questions, so I get context of what somebody that I might be giving advice is actually experiencing. Otherwise, I'm not an advice giver. So that technically doesn't apply to me because <laughs> I'm never giving anybody advice that I myself should take. And I'm really asking questions. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think a question I would ask myself, so if I were to follow my way of thinking about this, which is introspection, and if somebody asks me for advice, Rachel, what do I do about this? I usually counter with a question or ask them a question or ask them what their experience is and then say the solution is inside of the question kind of thing. Mm. So so if I were to me say, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I, And then more specifically, I feel a little stagnant in my business in here and I feel a little, feel a little this, a little that. And my question to myself would be like, is there anything wrong with just feeling all of your experience because that's what you're describing to me that you're doing. So by there being some sort of resistance to that, you must think that you should be doing something differently. What is that thing that you think that you should be doing differently? And so that might make me think, well, I guess nothing really makes sense to be doing differently than to be paying attention and knowing that yeah Yeah. i'm fully even if i don't know what it is and what's making sense i am i am can note that i am fully involved with what i'm doing 
And then I would ask myself, well, is that in line with how you want to live your life? Is that in line with what makes you feel joy? Is that what connects you to people? Is that what makes you light up, which is mostly self-discovery or discovery of any type? And then I would say yes. And they're like, okay, well, then you're good. You're technically, by not just well-wishing or wishful thinking or, or toxic positivity, but through a traced back and very tangible way, you're doing great <laughs> because yeah. you're doing the things that are in line with how you want to live. And so then maybe the, at the end of that kind of conversation with myself, I would say keep going. I would agree. So... To kind of tie into that, I feel like you and I are in a point of life where um, a lot of things are going really well. A lot of things are like, we're refining a lot of things in life. Um, I had a I had an ex-girlfriend reach out yesterday and she um, she mentioned that she was listening like, to some old music of mine. And she also said she's in a really tough spot. And I think she's kind of always been in a really tough spot like that. Like how how do we help people who are in that position who they're not in a space to realize like their higher purpose. Mm. They're like s- stuck in her situation as like bad job type things, bad life type experiences, relationships. Um, and it all is like tied in with self-worth stuff, right? It's not like just a shift of perspective to like magically change everything that's fucked right now. Yeah. Like how do we help people who are in that position? Because I wonder, um, cause I know what my approach is to like helping myself, but I don't know, I don't know how to help some people who are in that position who feel like they're on kind of like the edge, right? I totally agree with the, I know exactly what to do for myself when I'm on the edge. Yeah. And. But some people are like, in a, they're years out from really having stuff kind of make, at ease. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and like giving them the advice because realistically, whatever predicament we're in is like what we're meant to be in. Like, how do you teach someone who is so angry at life to just like accept the resistance that they're facing and move through it? Because the resistance they're facing, I mean, that could, I I don't know. Like if there's no opportunity coming up, it's not like resistance of taking the opportunity or not. It's like resistance of leaving it. But when you don't have any security, like how do you leave things? That is such a deep question of the soul of your relationship to the unknown. And I think that falls into place in very subtle, tiny ways before it makes sense to do it in bigger ways. So Yeah, I would agree. So leaving a job that you're unhappy at is not as simple as saying, and this has always been my my beef with personal development of like, life's too short. You need to leave that job. You need to leave that relationship. You need to do this. I've always been like, fuck you, how? And so in turn, I would say in, maybe not in the moment you're in, but a quiet moment, one that you find a little bit of, a tiny bit of stillness, you ask or you reflect on what is my, what is my relationship to the unknown? Yeah. And that kind of overarching question and then seeing where it takes you, where that answer takes you, where you take yourself really, what becomes alive when you ask that and and what happens that your intuition will be like peaked oh somebody somebody's asking me a question i'm on board it's time for me to shine 
your our innate intelligence wants to come through so badly all the time. That's what our gut feelings are. That's what our mind is interpreting from our gut. And anxiety, my interpretation of anxiety and depression comes from anxiety is our alarm system. Hey, act on this or don't act on this. Do this, say that, take some sort of movement. And when we don't, we shove that down and we continuously don't act on those things or not act on those things because we're being told something, we're being communicated with and we're ignoring, literally just ignoring the communication that we're receiving from ourselves. And that's where depression comes in. I speak for myself in that completely because that's how it was for me when I was in an abusive relationship. I was told I was chronically anxious and I would be depressed forever and I would have to be on medication in up to doses for some amount of years. I had a chemical imbalance. Nobody once asked me what my physical environment was like, which was extremely emotionally bordering on physically abusive. And then when I left that relationship, I found so many, I got off Zoloft, I stopped being suicidal, I stopped all these things, not because I willed myself to stop, but because I finally addressed the source of where those external things were coming from. That is the answer, really. I think people just need to like find it within themselves to put themselves in a situation where they can actually grow. Yes, and that comes, and again, not to lose the point of it's it will be nearly impossible to make those big decisions that will change your life without that incremental relationship being built to the unknown, that incremental relationship being built to the intuition. And I, my practice of that at first was like, okay, I need to start really small. Like, do I like chocolate or vanilla? And then an answer will come. Okay, like, I like chocolate mostly. And then I say, okay, why? And then an answer will come up. You just keep going, why, 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 I just keep going. And for very silly, silly things first, because when I start getting to like, do I blame my parents for how I turned out? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Those are such heavy hitter questions that used to just make me more overwhelmed and depressed. Mm. And I never realized that until I started more simple and easy. And I eased my way into an intuitive relationship rather than just wanting everything to be fixed. Yeah. That's good advice. I think it is hard, though, to be in a, a set, setting where, like, life's going well for you, but then you see the pain of another person. And, you know, it's, like, not something you can really take away. And it's maybe not something that you can do anything other than just be loving and be open and be welcoming to them, but maybe there's no advice to give them. In those moments, no. Again, outside of, like, just people, and people do, friends do come to me in those moments and I know better than to give any advice and I think that sometimes giving advice or trying to trying to help is a disservice Mm. in a way can be aggressive and but you're also in fear like when someone's like super low that they're gonna kill themselves or something that's valid too So, so that's hard when it's like do you have something to say? Sorry, this is like getting dark. No, that's okay. I was in a very extreme experience. The but reason I, I did van life was because somebody called me and told me that I was the last person they were talking to. Oh, geez. So Was that the case? So in a very real sense, um, I have experienced that intimately. And in that moment, I stayed on the phone with that person. It was it was an ex um and we got very close very quickly and she was 
having a hard time and she called me and she was texting me. We, we, yeah, she was texting me and weird messages. And I'm like, what is this? And she said, you're the last person I'm going to be texting. And I didn't know what that meant. So then I called her, even though we kind of weren't on talking terms, we were on the out of the situationship that we were in. But yeah, you don't ignore messages like that. And so then I just called her. And we talked on the phone, and I she had taken pills, and I did drive over there and got her to throw up, and then drove her to the hospital and stayed overnight with her, and the whole the whole shebang. And I can think about in moments that this last summer I actually called the suicide hotline, and I got I didn't get a busy signal, but I got an automated message of like press one for this or press two for that, and I'm like sobbing, thinking about all these terrible things, and. I was like, that's ridiculous. And I hung up and I called my sister instead and she just stayed on the phone with me. And so I think that it depends on the the point that somebody's in and how well they know themselves. I know myself well enough to know that calling someone first that... I didn't I didn't know what was going on. So calling somebody first was not the move. Calling help help was the first move. Okay, it's there for a reason. I have this reason. <laughs> Why not use it? This is literally my thought process. And I'm like, okay, Google suicide hotline. I, I used it. It was great. Until it was not what I thought it would be. And then I was like, well, this is silly. So I'm gonna now I'm gonna call my sister, which is the next move that felt intuitive. And when I called her, she stayed on the phone with me for like three hours, just just listening to me sob, like mm-hmm. not in a good place. And then I think that for both parties of a situation like that, listening to your intuition is the it it's a double edged sword because y- you're not responsible for what anybody else does ever. I'm not responsible for what she was going to do. That's so true too, and I I know that and. And what my point is, is that we know better sometimes, but that doesn't stop us from feeling a certain way. And so what do we do about those feelings to make it easier to handle those moments that somebody is not listening to themselves or not in a healthy coping mechanism? And um, I would love to add here that, well, that looks like a lot of fun. I'd love to add here that I'm not a mental health professional or psychologist in any way. I have no, no professional advice on that. I am just a human who's found that listening to my intuition in those quiet moments, in those like, do I like chocolate or vanilla moments when it's (laughs) quiet and nothing else is going on. That's the inner intentional work that helped me build some sense of fortitude for listening to my intuition in those bigger moments. Was it the right thing to call her and go there and... Yes, yes, yes. There was no doubt in my mind. And then when I was in that position, call the suicide hotline. Yes. Call my sister. That didn't work out. Call my sister. Yes. I knew what a yes sounded like. And if I hadn't done all those work, all that work, which I had not done in the past, and that is what got me on medicine and stuff, I I didn't know because no one no one told me to like how to functionally listen to my intuition, which was those small, subtle moments of intentional, like, hmm, that's pretty quiet everywhere else. You weren't born with yogi parents? No, my parents were... (laughs) I know. I think that'd be rad and that'd be helpful, but I don't think a lot of us had that. No, not even... I don't actually know anyone who who had learned 
And I'm sure people who do have yogi parents are like full of shit, caught in their ego yogi parents, you know? Yeah. There's or a difference just different between times. like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really, really hard to tell or say. Um, all I can do, obviously, is speak from my own experience, which my parents are not, not yogis and not communicative and not loving and very abusive. And my dad was extremely emotionally abusive. And my mom was extremely physically abusive and emotionally abusive. Hmm. Um, so there was like, there was never a sense of safety anywhere in my life um, from, I can, my earliest memories are that. And so safety in myself turned into that thing, but that also meant I hadn't, like I was saying before, I had nowhere to run for my whole life. And so suicidal ideation and depression and anxiety were always there before that situation with my other ex that I lived with that was abusive. Like, and we can go, I, not necessarily necessary, not necessarily, it's not necessary to, to go back and tell that whole story outside of the fact that it became abundantly clear to me that I had to exercise the muscle of intuition if I was going to help myself in those really, really tough moments. Yeah. And we, there, again, it's not anyone's fault. I, I think emphatically saying there's not many resources that are helping functionally say like, all right, well, we're going to start with the bare minimum. Like, do you like pickles? Your intuition will say something. Your yeah. inner guidance will say but, something. But I think really what it's coming down to here is that like, this is a person who reached out. We're really not like close anymore. Yeah. I mean, we're like, this is like the first time we've talked in years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it didn't go to that level, you know, like I didn't think she was going to kill herself or something like that. But but also it's sad, you know, when you see someone who's low and... So all that talk about is hypothetical. <laughs> no, but it, but it's... Yeah, but I think it's also like... You imagine someone's at that level. Sure. I mean, I've been, I've been, you know, feeling suicidal over things that are much smaller. You know, I've been wanting to like not exist because I just... I'm really kind of paranoid of like whatever we're in is. Yeah. You know, we don't need to go into depth on that, but I also, um, yeah, I think that's good advice for my friend. Um, and just to realize that like, it's not about me giving them advice. It's just giving them a space where they feel like they're loved, they're cared for. They have someone who will listen. Yes. And, um, yeah. But I think I you're, do. you're so right. And I, I appreciate that additive perspective of like, it's extremely uncomfortable for us to be around someone uncomfortable in themselves. Well, it just hurts to witness because, yeah, I mean, especially with an ex, because we dated when we were in college mm -hmm. and like, I don't expect people in college to have their life straight. I was a few years older than her. She didn't have her life straight then. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, it, it kind of, it hurts to to grow and and see yeah. someone not and she's gr grown in her own ways and I've grown in my own ways but sure you know it you, you wish the best for people you wish that they get to that point where they're in love with life and things are going really well yeah i i think that is the wish and it can't it it cannot be imposed on someone to love for you to want them to love themselves or their life more than yeah. they are capable of at that time. Because that's not doing anyone any favors either. And it'll come. 
I'm sure there's someone Timeline. who probably wanted to give me advice when I was like some miserable fuck back totally. in college, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't going to listen to it. Totally. And that's very, that's a very cognitively empathetic way to perceive that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I understand that like I've been resistant to growth as well. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that's what is most helpful is admitting that for yourself, using I statements and saying, I have been extremely resistant to change, to growth. I have extreme abandonment issues. I have, and like just owning those things and not, and then knowing eventually that there's a difference between your soul being and then also what your experience is and you're not, you're not your feelings and that there's the possibility that you can be the observer of yourself going down the river and the rapids and you can watch yourself like, wow, that I could be on that log going down that river on those rapids, but I'm not. I'm on the shore watching. And yeah. then sometimes there are moments where you're on the log going down the rapids and then you know f- and you're fully okay being on the rapids. And that's where the skilled level of being the observer that's where meditation comes into play meditation for me is very much so about surrendering to the onslaught of inner dialogue and really getting familiar and really getting intimate with my chatter not avoiding it or ignoring it or wishing that for wasn't sure. there just creates that separation where you can see like where your perspective actually lies yeah exactly and yeah. then go back and toggle between them and that's where in now my perspective i still have thoughts of suicidal ideation, but I can shift my perspective very quickly from, and okay, I just, um, my physical being is having an experience, a response, a trigger. I can, okay, I'll use my breath. Oh, this is too intense for my breath. Okay. I need to just lay down and surrender. Like I had a panic attack in uh, San Diego right before I left. And I just, I was just on the floor with my palms open, sobbing, like, I don't know what to do, praying, I guess, if that's an interpretation for it. And then it cleared and I knew exactly what to do. But if I had just been continually rejecting the need to surrender, I would probably, I would have been in maybe a worse situation than I was and fallen back down that pattern of resistance and resistance turning into, I don't want to be here which is how that pattern always played out for me. Makes sense. Yeah, it does really make sense even articulating it because I haven't, I I try to talk about these things, but I do find myself very present and that's just not my reality. And, to, and it, unless it's my reality, like on that day, I was very much so like talking about it like it was happening right now. And now I can reflect because I was very Again, like I was saying to you before about your before, during, and after, like I have a very, I'm very attuned to my before, during, and after my experiences. And so I can recollect that with great detail as if it was it just happened. Um, but that's a, that's being present to the surrender, being willing to surrender all of the things and presence and surrender are prerequisites to the, the big moments that need them. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> that was that was an unexpected deep dive. Um, Nate, thank you so much for two hours of your time and your thoughts and your perspectives and your shares and your laughs and your moments that um, you put so eloquently into words. You're an extremely self-aware person, and I'm really grateful for your recollection of and share of your adventure inward. It is not... I would say it's the equanimity that you're feeling now 
and the place that you're at is hard-earned. And I would say that anybody that that goes after it in either small way like deserves to give themselves that pat on the back. So thank you. Just yeah, give yourself been, a little bit of grace. It's been a long journey, but yeah. yeah, I know that it's been my intention on the road. So it feels good to like have it pay off. Yeah, and I I hear uh, I hear that it's paid off in the way that you talk about it. Not just in you. You don't need to say that. Yeah. Um. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You're welcome.